Nuclear. Now is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. This week, dispatches from the Department of Redundancy Department. You guys got an email that sort of uh, kicked this off. I'm going to let you tell us what that email was because uh, I haven't actually seen it. Oh, gosh, we should, we meant to send it to you. See, it's a new year and we're starting off with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're not being redundant. It was a Danny from Columbus, Indiana. Actually had a few pet peeves, but one of them he mentioned, which is the one that this is based on, he said he hates the term at this point in time. He said, space is made up of points, time is made up of moments. And he remembers this being said over and over again by John Dean in the Watergate hearings. And Ross and I were talking, we thought, we've been hearing it a lot lately, too, at this point in time. I mean, obviously, Watergate was a long time ago, so we're wondering if it's like a political thing, like a sort of lawyerish thing that you keep hearing at this point in time. And we did a tiny bit of research on it, and we got, it's probably a folk etymology, it po- I mean, or possibly is. It possibly isn't the real reason. But it did skyrocket in the 1960s. And there's one school of thought that says it became popular because it was used by astronauts who wanted to distinguish their whizzing around in space between a point in time and a point in space. And the argument is that it's, it's not very good. That's a valid reason to say at this point in time because you want to distinguish it from like, you know, I'm next to the moon, I'm next to wherever. But they're saying now that if you're using it in regular context, it, it, it's silly. You don't need to use it. Well, most of us aren't in space. Well, we're all in space. Or are we? We all are in space. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Thank you. <laughs> it's funny, though. It doesn't really bother me. What do you guys think of that one? Uh, no, I'm not bothered by that in the least. It drives, it's, It bothers me. i got to be honest with you. It bothers me in print. It doesn't bother me in speech because, I mean, I, I, I'm very lax when it comes to speak, speaking. But I think in print, seeing at this point in time, you could just say, I, well, I hate extraneous words. Extraneous, I don't even like using that much. Extra words, let's just say. And I think that you could just say, nah, at, at this point, why do you need the in time when you're writing something? Well, the one thing we did discover is that it peaked uh, 20 or 5 years ago. It's going down, so Kathy may be in luck. Maybe in the next 20 or 30 years, it'll disappear from the from the vocabulary. But it doesn't particularly bother me. I think it's it's blatantly obvious, but it doesn't bother me, which comes to our next <laughs> redundancy. Ooh, blatantly obvious. I see what you did, Ross. Wow, what a segue. <laughs> oh! That, that is what we're getting at today, is, is redundancies in language, and, and blatantly obvious would obviously be one of those because if something's obvious then i suppose it can't be more than obvious see now okay i'm going to disagree here though because to me blatantly in this case is like an intensifier it's not just obvious it's like it's like an alarm it's like you know lights are flashing in your face and there's like a bell going off and the train is like almost on your car do you know what i mean as opposed to merely obvious if you will does that make sense there's one point that you make that actually you bring up there because blatant has a negative connotation to it. It's not something can be like obvious and good, but blatantly obvious is obvious and not so good. So in that case, 
I'm not amazingly bothered by it, but I have to say, unlike the previous, I would never use it. What do you think, Fletcher? As Kathy said, being that it's sort of an intensifier, it kind of goes to what I think will be for me the case with a lot of these that we talk about is that it seems really fussy to be bothered by it because because people use it as that intensifier even if it's not nece- it's not necessary but it's just the way we talk we get a little excited and sometimes we go a little overboard and intensify things with extra words i don't i don't really see that much of a problem with that which is where which is a good point fletcher and which is where we go back to what we were speaking about earlier i think because in print a lot of times these things are, are not well used because print we have time to look at it when we're speaking we can you know we can elide words we can kind of gloss over things so it's probably redundancy in some cases in speech is a good idea i know that certainly when i'm trying to speak french in france as if the person keeps talking with using a lot of different words or different ways to get to the same point i can finally understand them Whereas if they speak really rapidly and, and are very concise, I can't have no idea what they're saying. But I think redundancy can be good in speech. Well, I was just going to say, see, I actually think that blatantly obvious, even in print, I think that there's a time and a place for it. I don't think it's really redundant. I think I, when I said the intensifier, I think I think it's like a sarcastic, almost sarcastic, not sarcastic, but I'm saying it's like sort of like it's staring you in the face. It was blatantly obvious. It wasn't merely you know, something you should have seen. I think that it, I think it's a necessity. I actually think it's a good phrase. I vote, like, I give it a very hearty thumbs up. But in that case, you could have said, (laughs) I've had too much coffee. Don't mind me. (laughs) But in that case, Kathy, you could get rid of the obvious and say it was blatant. Well, you could, but I don't think it's, I I, I don't think just blatant even. It's blatantly obvious to me. It's like, duh, you idiot to me. I actually sort of give up. I think I probably agree. <laughs> I do agree. I, I don't think blatant uh, gets across the same idea as blatantly obvious, and I don't think obvious gets across the same idea as blatantly obvious. Those two words together, they work for me. Okay. I think we're, we are all in agreement. I'm the last to agree, but I agree. However, <laughs> let's go to the next We're bludgeoning one. you. <laughs> I don't want to hear Kathy defend this one, because if she does, I'm going to attack. A passing fad. Fletcher, Kathy. You, yeah, you don't need to say that. I mean, that's what a, that's what a fad is. I don't. There's not really any ambiguity about what a fad is, is there? I don't think so. Well, fad, yeah, fad is is something temporary by nature. I mean, it's just a fad is 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 something like that's the zeitgeist for a bit and then dies out. But what did fad? I'm sorry, I'm going to go off topic for a second. Where did fad come from? What's the etymology of fad? Fad is... Um, I'm sorry, I'm asking. I know it's not, we weren't thinking about it, but suddenly I thought, what? They think, no one's really sure, it's a contraction of fiddle-faddle, which then became contracted to fid-fad, <laughs> and then it became fad. Isn't that weird? No one knows, oh, though. But then, okay, now I'm seeing other things. And somebody else says, I just looked it up, that came came from the Latin... Fatuous, foolish, and vapidus, vapid. I agree, but they think fatuous in Latin came into French, which was fades, which is trifle or nonsense. Then it came into English mm-hmm. as fiddle-faddle. Then it became fid-fad, then fad. I like fiddle-faddle. I'm going with the fiddle-faddle. I want to stress something that I think both of you mentioned, and that's the difference between print and and speech. I don't honestly think if somebody happened to say passing fad in conversation that it would really bother me. I I just I might notice it 
but I wouldn't really care. In in print, that's different b- because if I'm if I'm copy editing something, then I want lean language, and I might even be trying to save words. So I would definitely cut out the word passing in that case. But I wouldn't. I don't think I would even think much of it if somebody said it to me. I totally agree with you, because I I do think that redundancies as colloquialisms in in speech I have no problem with either. Do I do I think they're fabulous? No. Do I do I think though that you know you should be crucified for them? Absolutely not. I agree with you. In in speech, fine. In print, different story. Uh, sometimes, depending. Like I said, with blatantly obvious. But yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. I think there's a decisive difference. But again. In, in speech, we do need redundancy also to just, if I say, oh, it's just a fad, and I say, oh, it's just a passing fad, I think we do get more of the of the emphasis, and I think it it makes our speech more powerful to some degree. It come, it, the point comes across more effectively. I think sometimes redundancies work really, not only are acceptable in speech, sometimes they work better in speech, I think, than just the word, than a concise one-syllable laconic word. Who knows? I, th- I think you're, I was just thinking passing fad, for example. I, yeah, in a funny way, if you talked about something, you talked about, I don't know, a mullet. <laughs> Must we? But anyway, and you said mullets were just a passing fad. Mullets were just a fad. Oddly enough, I don't hear as much as passing fad. That's, the again, the purpose of redundancy. It works sometimes. So I think we're happy with it. The actual okay, fact. Okay, let's go home now. <laughs> We're done. No, the actual, good. <laughs> the actual fact is that redundancies can work. I'm, I'm sorry, what kind of fact the was that? The actual fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ross, you're, you're just nailing them today. <laughs> now, this one doesn't bother me at all because these days we are dealing with not just truthiness, as Stephen Colbert uh, said a number of years ago, but we're dealing with, well, fake facts. Yep. Absolutely. It's so funny when you said truthiness. That sounds so quaint now, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Remember yeah. those good old days oh, when that was all we had to worry about? Uh-huh. <laughs> and now we're just dealing with completely uh, false information all the time. Completely and agree. So we do need, I mean, sometimes we do need to distinguish between those fake facts and actual facts. And it's unfortunate that we have, that we've come to that point where we have to qualify what kind of facts we're talking about because facts are things that are true. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but that's not the world we're living in right now. It's, it's disturbing, but it's, it's a fact. It's an actual an fact. actual fact. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, there are other times when I think it's legitimate too. I mean, when you're using it to, um, again, we go back to emphasis as an intensifier. Like, he looks young, but an actual fact, he's almost sixty. You know, something like that. Like where where you're intensifying it. That that's legal in my head as well, and that's that's been more common in the past, right? Yeah, which brings up the interesting point: the ter- the words actual and fact together. As in usage, actually peaked in the 1920s, believe it or not. More in the sense of what Kathy is saying. It's now beginning to go up more in the sense of what Fletcher is saying. So in effect, mm. actual fact has two different, subtly different meanings. And the sad, lamentable one is now currently in more use, distinguishing it from fake fact. Well, that was a brief moment of discussion. And we're on to brief moment. <laughs> You're not going to stop, are you, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> See, now, brief 
moment. Okay, I'll, I'll let, I'm going to defer to you guys before I come in with my comment on brief moment. How do you feel about brief moment? Like a lot of these, I'm not that bothered by it. And for me, it's because moment is a little bit vague. It, it kind of has a range. And I know, I mean, I know it's not a long period of time, but a moment could be two minutes. A brief moment could be 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. That raises an interesting point. One way of finding out if a redundancy is not good is to do the opposite and try it out as a long moment. And I think in this case, as does Fletcher and as I'm sure does Kathy, there's no real problem. A long moment is a brief moment of time which is perceived maybe as a long moment. That was according to the Oxford Dictionary. And I think it's valid. I do too. I, mean, the, I, I, should, I should interject and say, which we should have said at the top, we picked these redundancies from different lists, like Grammarist, um, uh, other grammar sites, and we wanted to get what was considered you know, redundancies and probably bad ones that you should avoid. And the fascinating thing that as we're all finding right now, and Ross and I found when we started putting a list together, is that the bulk of them we have no issue with. Because I don't think, yeah, you can be nitpicky and say, well, a moment is a very brief period of time, which is what you see in dictionaries. But a moment isn't, isn't a set period of time. So yeah, you can have a shorter moment than another moment. You can have things that feel long. I mean, you know. I have a question about that word moment. Is this one of those words that that used to have a much more specific meaning sort of like decimate um it comes from um actually from the latin momentum which means movement or motion and then it became in latin short time or instant as and i guess the i don't really know the latin etymology but i presume it's like a slight movement and from there it became a um duration so it didn't have a very it did not have a specific a moment is like a ninth of an hour or whatever no it didn't which i think right? is an interesting point that yeah. you just brought up i i think we're all in agreement interestingly enough we found a tweet from uh, stephen king who who uh uses long moment he said frequently in his uh writing so we do have like apparently copy editors have not edited out of his books so it's just so odd to me i, I this is just fascinating me i i the 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 fact that these are considered bad and i mean i this one in particular i think more than any of them this one i think is unequivocally fine i mean i think in print and anything i'm not going to segue into this one new innovation i hate it this one i hate Although, I can, I, can, I, can I counter you, Kath? Go, you go, Ross, and then I'm going to sit here and think to myself. I don't think it's that bad. It's like, I mean, let's take, let's take a, a different tack on this. Let's look at invention, which is similar to innovation. You had like a, a new, you had an old invention like the light bulb, and you have a new invention like a LED uh, lights thing. I think innovation, you may have the same way of saying it. There were innovations in the 1920s, and there are innovations now. There were in effect. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Saying just new innovation, it depends, I guess, on the usage then. I mean, if you're saying, you know, it, such and such was an innovation in the 20s. Now there's a new innovation, blah, blah. But I, when I looked this up, it's all over the joint. It's just all over. And it's not used in that context. It's more like, hi, here's a new innovation. And an innovation to me is by, by, by definition new. So I don't like it. It does seem like you could figure it out from the context, whether you were talking about an innovation that happened some time ago or an innovation right now, right? Right. Uh, it, it doesn't really seem like you would need that word 
new. Now, it doesn't bother me. And that's what I wanted to say to begin with, uh, is that it's not something that bothers me. And you had plenty of innovations, of course, over the course of history. Sound in film was an innovation, but that's not a new innovation. But having said all that, whatever you're talking about, it's probably going to be pretty clear from what you're talking about, whether we're talking about a quote-unquote new innovation. Exactly, which is where we get to the whole idea here. A lot of this is contextual. New innovation in the sense of, hey, I've just got a new innovation. Uh, I've just invented a new innovation. I have a new innovation for my whatever. That's poorly, that's not good. But when we're talking with historical innovations, it's fine. The key always with these words seems to me to be context. I just, new innovation in particular, though, seems so clunky. I, 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 it's funny, I cut slack on almost all of them. This one just, it's just for something about it makes me want to scream a little bit. I, I think in current usage, you're right. I mean, if you're saying I have got a new innovation for my car, yeah. But I think if we're talking about innovations like Fletcher was talking about with uh, sound and film, an old innovation, and now they're, they're tweaking that to make a new kind of uh, sense around. Well, interestingly enough, I looked up to see if old innovation was a fra- used phrase, and it's not. <laughs> when I looked it up on Google, I just did a straight Google search, I only came up with 29,000, almost 30,000 results only. Well, we're starting a new of, trend. Of old innovation as a phrase. We're starting a trend. <laughs> I did find out, I have to share this, though. This reminds me of the jargon thing we did last time when I was looking up old innovation. I found out that there are four types of innovation according to the Harvard Business Review. None of them are old or new. There's sustaining innovation breakthrough innovation, disruptive innovation, and for some reason, basic research, which I don't get in there. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The next one now we're going to go to is one that I don't think is at all a a redundancy, but it was on several lists. It's face mask. A mask, by definition, is mostly meaning a covering or all a part of the face. So therefore, face mask, the argument is redundant. I don't think so, because you can have mask in a different usage, as in like uh, the fog masked the, uh, the the sky or something. So I don't think it, I think face mask is a distinguisher, which I think is important. But do you need to say you should wear a face mask? As opposed to you should wear a mask? Correct. I don't have a problem with saying you should wear a face mask. I don't have a problem with it at all. I don't care. I'm just... Yeah, I, I mean, I, just I, wear it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's where the... Yeah, please. I don't care what you call it. Please just wear it. Right. Uh, but, I, I mean, I think that's where the redundancy comes in, right? Because you don't really need to say wear a face mask because where else are you going to put that mask? Yeah. Precisely. But I think that's like... But like, come on, who cares? I mean, that's true for so many of these. And I know I know, we have listeners right now who are screaming their heads off because these redundancies bother them and have bothered them for a long time. And I, I mean, I'm not telling you that you uh, can't do that, although it, maybe your, your hypertension might go down a little bit if you do just kind of <laughs> chill out about it. Like for me, I don't... Who cares? Say it. No, I agree. Exactly. I just was fascinated because I never thought of it as a redundancy. I never thought of a mask only being on your face, which obviously it is. I just thought of this one, though, which it just hit me. Another redundancy, you might say, is tuna fish because tuna is Mm -hmm. a fish. Mm -hmm. If you're going fishing, I would never say I caught a tuna fish. 
I'd say I caught a tuna. <laughs> That's true. But but yeah. I but I eat tuna fish all the time. <laughs> yeah. I go to the supermarket and I buy. That's a, yeah, I kind of go fish. back to context. I'll I'll eat a tuna fish sandwich. Uh, you know, I like it better. It sounds more like a thing I want to eat. Maybe it's like eating beef versus eating cow. Maybe eating I'm going to eat tuna fish is like the the beef part of that, and then tuna is the fish. Yeah, it seems to me what you're saying is true. And there, a redundancy, I think, really, it's not really a redundancy. It, it implies, if I, I mean, I definitely, if you said, Fletcher, if you said, I'm going to eat tuna, I would picture like a tuna steak. I wouldn't picture a can of tuna fish either. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. But you don't say tuna fish salad, do you? You say tuna salad. That's true. I'm making a tuna That's salad true. sandwich. I you say tuna salad sandwich. Speaking of redundancies that are probably not really redundancies anymore, we have Kathy's favorite. Kathy? Please RSVP. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. That, that, one, that one's sort of like when we uh, went back and reevaluated Zhu and Oju. Yep. And o- exactly. And Oju is, is, the, is the thing altogether, right? RSVP is, is that thing altogether. It doesn't matter that it has that word please in it. Exactly. Exactly. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I think it's fine to say please. Some people get really like upset about this one. I've seen it on different like uh, messages, uh, comments. I don't know why it sets people's teeth on edge, but it does. I have no issue with but it. But we have a lot I of. I mean, those... you're not gonna. You, you want to be polite, and you're not gonna say please are. No. And, <laughs> and if you just say RSVP, it sounds a little curt. And also, those are just those are acronyms, and the acronym actually, because I was just thinking about this too. The acronym is coming to the English language. We don't really think of Les Bondes, s'il vous plaît. We just think of kind of get back to me, please. And then we have like things like scuba gear. I always say scuba gear, but scuba is like, uh, is an acronym for self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. So I'm really saying, you know, could you bring the self-contained blah, blah, blah apparatus gear, which is redundant. And then pin number. Or tank, yeah. I say pin number. Yeah, pin number and ATM machine. I will say that those, those, annoy me a little oh really I, I, they don't bother me at all Kath? they used to bug me way more than they do now because everybody says them now almost and, and so i've loosened up on those quite a lot aha uh-huh, you were stodgy <laughs> i was oh oh i used to be horrid <laughs> i hope we've helped loosen you up you have you have that's one of the great glories of this podcast for me at least and hopefully for other people so, like, you really would get, like, nuts when someone said an ATM machine? Uh, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not terrifically confrontational at all, at, at, just as a person. And so I don't know that I would have said anything to anybody unless they were one of my friends. And then I'm, I, can, can, I can be kind of a dick. What are your but, former friends? <laughs> former friends, yeah. So strangely, most of them stuck around. I, I can't believe they, they put up with all that. I want to keep saying pin number just to hear him start exploding silently. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I am curious if the two of you have any that really do get under your skin i mean like like genuinely bother you that's an interesting question i gotta say one that always bothers me is from whence yes oh from from whence it came yes yeah even though i know it's been used and i know walter scott and you know vile dust from whence he sprung unwept and honored on unsung i know all of that that's the one that drives me crazy and it's one of the stuffiest wouldn't you know what i'd pick one of the stuffy ones it's true i'm so like lenient about everything that one drives me crazy i correct that one 
So I have I have two that genuinely bother me. Uh, one, the first one is not something that I would. Well, I don't think on either one I would go around correcting people. In fact, I know I don't because I hear I hear this all the time. Uh, the first one, though, I wouldn't have the opportunity to correct people on because it's something that I hear from sportscasters all the time. And it's when they refer to a month and they say the month of January. He has four hits in the month of January. Why? I, it's one of those sportscaster things, and I don't understand right. why they okay, do now that. I have a thought, though. Do you think it's like what we were talking about before with the intensifier to make you hear it? Like, um, what was, I forget the phrase we were even talking about before. Uh, passing fad. Is it like a passing fad thing where that way you really hear the month? You're setting up January. You're not just saying, yeah, in January, blah, blah, blah. You're saying the month of January. So you really hear January? I don't think Does that so. Make sense? I, I mean, I okay. don't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a month aside from maybe March that would pass through my ears without me recognizing that it's a month. Mm. I just don't I don't see see that at all. It's sort of this is not a redundancy, but it's like when sportscasters say he's 31 years of age. Why do they need to <laughs> say it that way? They do it all the time. Nearly all of them do it. I don't get sportscasters. No one ever gets sportscasters. Yeah, right. it's it's so weird. Uh, the other one. That 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 gets under my skin. It really does. I don't I don't say anything to anybody about it. And uh, like all of these, I'm starting I'm starting to loosen up. But it's when people say something like 2 a.m. in the morning. Oh, that's good. I hear it everywhere. You're right. I'm just thinking. I do hear that. That's ridiculous. Less so with like 11 p.m. at night. I I don't hear that so much. But something like 2 a.m. in the morning. It's that a.m. in the morning, and I that one that one that one still bugs me. It really yeah. That one still bugs me. I think that's one of the most unique statements I've ever heard. That's why I forgot that one. That's one of mine. I forgot it. I hate most unique. I've yeah. gotten into arguments about it because people say sometimes, you know, unique is be, it means more than that. It bothers me. I don't like most unique. And I agree with you with never thought about the 2 a.m. in the morning. I think I'm guilty. I think I've said that. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. What are you doing? You have yeah. to go. To, I think I've said it. Yeah. It, really? When, and when you say it like that, I can kind of hear the, the intensifier in it. Yeah. But that's not how people usually say it. I mean, I'll hear I'll hear 7 a.m. in the morning. I'll hear, you know, it's... it's <laughs> driving me crazy right? now that i'm hearing yeah, it. yeah right exactly and i can't guarantee that i've never said it like it hasn't just slipped out if i'm talking about something like ross just said you know like yeah i was up at 2 a.m in the morning um i mean i can't guarantee i've never said it but i i don't think i have and and i i do notice it when people when people say it now you realize it's going to be on my mind. I'm going to keep hearing it suddenly today. I'm going to ask you guys about this one. Someone mentioned it. I was talking to a friend last night, and I was he was chatting about, we were chatting about the podcast, and mental telepathy, he said. Telepathy is the transmission of thoughts without, like, body. So it has to be mental. Yeah. I don't know that. I mean, I guess I don't have that many conversations about telepathy in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, I don't. I was just thinking that. Although, isn't it just like that phrase is the phrase? I mean, it's just like that's like the metal telepathy is, is the name. Yeah, I think that's what happens. It just becomes the, the word for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see his point, but I'm with Fletcher. I I, actually, I can't think of the last time I talked about telepathy at all. I talked about it last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> I sensed that. <laughs> actually, we're getting, we're getting to run out of time. But I think Kathy wanted to say one quick thing. 
what we're talking about is something called pleonasms. That's redundancies used in language, and there are two different kinds. There's syntactic pleonasm, which occurs when um, we chuck in words like into a sentence where they don't really, they're not, there's no reason to have them in there. For example, they see that you've arrived. That is a pleonasm because it's not really necessary in it. That one we weren't really talking too much about. We were talking about what's called semantic pleonasm, which is redundancy or the unnecessary repetitions of words or ideas, as in free gifts. Gifts, of course, are free. And now we have, we wanted to read to you. Kathy will read. This I just love, because we're going to say, like, with, with the syntactic uh, pleonasms, it's, a lo it's like you're adding descriptive matter. It's unnecessary completely. And we found, uh, we have to read these. We do the stupidest things ever said, books and calendars. We have for, we've done it for years. That's how we started, actually, with word stuff uh, being published. And there's a, a, a science fiction writer named Lionel Fanthorpe, um, who's, who has written many, many, many books. And he's addicted to redundancy. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, here's one. Um, when he awoke, it was pitch dark. Dark as the pit. Dark as the tomb. Dark as the grave. A thick black velvet darkness that seemed almost intangible in its intensity. The kind of darkness that got into the pores of your nose. Everywhere was dark, dark darkness. Blackness. Black. Black blackness. <laughs> I just think that's poetry. <laughs> it's poetic poetry. <laughs> this episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Seattle, Washington. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us. They're how we get more people to find us. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.